Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. The new life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of God. We've got a new headpiece this morning. And I have to tell you, it came with a warning that I could strangle myself with this cable here. Uh, so if that happens, somebody please call an ambulance. Um, conflict. We're starting this new series today on resolving everyday conflict. And I wonder what goes through your mind when I say the word conflict. Uh, I think there's probably, hopefully, a small proportion of us say, oh, good. I love a good conflict. I love watching a fight, uh, checking out the tactics and who's, who's uh, got the better of whom and who wins in the end. Uh, I hope there's not too many of us like that. I think others of us are going to think, oh, no. Uh, this is going to be tense and hard, and uh, I hate conflict, especially uh, when it's amongst God's people. Uh, it shouldn't happen. Why does it happen? We should all be one big happy family. Uh, maybe you feel like disappearing for the next eight weeks and crawling into your shell. I hope... Uh, as we go through this series and as you do it in your life groups, as we did this week, uh, that you, we're all going to be really helped by this. Uh, the reality is, isn't it, in our world, conflict happens. No matter where you look, uh, in your workplace, your school, your uni, your life group, uh, ministry, the wider church, uh, actually even within ourselves, <laughs> conflict happens, doesn't it? We disagree, and it can be very, a very destructive thing. Uh, we all know that. Or it can be a very productive thing. Uh, it depends how we respond. God has made us different people. He's done that deliberately. Uh, and it's inevitable that we will come at things from different points of view. God has also made us uh, for relationship. That's why relationships really matter to us. 
And when they go wrong, that's why it's really tough. Uh, so I don't want to say we're going to blame God for all of this, but uh, God has made us really different. And he's done that purposely so that we will work together to get a good result on everything. Uh, there will be a contest of ideas, won't there, in your marriage, in our eldership team, in our pastor's team, in our life groups. And that's good and healthy. Uh, if it was just a case of, let's say for, for, for marriage, of one person calling the shots all the time, uh, marriage vows, I think, would look something like this. Uh, whoever was going to be the boss would stand up and say, I promise to do what's best for me in sickness and in health, richer or poorer, better or worse. And the other person would just have to be a spectator or probably more likely a victim, I think, we would say. That's what marriages would look like <laughs> if we didn't have this synergy. And we all know what countries look like when one person says, you're doing it my way or else. Uh, we've already been praying about the results of that this morning. So it's not a question of will we conflict. Uh, we will fight, that's a given. Uh, not just because we're made differently, but also because we are self-centred. Uh, the fall, our rebellion against God, has impacted us all deeply. So the real question is, how will we conflict? It's going to happen. How will we do it? Will we fight fair? <laughs> That's the question uh, we're trying to grapple with. Will we do it in such a way uh, that we get to a better place than if either one of us or whoever in a bigger group, if one person called the shots? So that's what we're trying to do as we go through this series. Uh, and um, the Bible has lots to say about this, how to fight fear. Jesus talked about it, the apostles talked about it, there's stuff about it in the Old Testament. So over these next eight weeks, uh, we're going to look at some of those passages and we're going to learn heaps of practical stuff. By the way, it makes sense that God has said a lot about this, doesn't it? He made us, he knows how he wants us to work and he knows what's good for us and he knows where he wants to get us ultimately. Uh, there's another problem that feeds into this and that is that we are in a community, we are surrounded by a community that says you do what you want. That's why we have so much conflict in our community. If I want what I want with the way I want to live and the way I want you to live clashes with the way you live and the way you want to live, there's going to be a fight, isn't there? That's why we've got this cancel culture. You can't say that. And all this stuff that's going on. Um, interestingly, the most popular song to be sung at funerals, I couldn't find the stats for Australia, but in the UK, guess what it is? I did it my way. That's it. <laughs> you know, we've had troubles and we've had this and that, but best of all, I did it my way. That is totally against the gospel, isn't it? It's totally against the will of God. In fact, God says, you love your neighbour as you love yourself, I'll do it your way. That's, that's what we have to do. And Janet and I are working through a few things and I've had to come to realise, okay, a few things in our lives which I'll disclose later on. I need to actually be more serious about saying, I'm going to do it your way. Okay, well... It's easy, you know, to fuel conflict, isn't it? With hurt and with anger, with harsh words, with vengeful acts. 
we all know how it works, don't we? You know, a small disagreement over who's meant to clean the toilet or who's meant to take the garbage out, all of a sudden turns into something that looks like World War Three. And, you know, well, of course, we have, that's a trivial one, but we have bigger ones like that. And 20 years down the track, actually, you can't remember what the issue was, but you can certainly remember and still feel the hurt that was inflicted when that happened, when that fuel was poured on the fire, uh, usually by both people. So what we're trying to do in these eight weeks is to help us to grow in solving things before they get out of hand uh, and before that deep damage is done. So if you're a Christian, we are in the best place possible to do this. Because you know what? The biggest conflict in the universe is the conflict that you and I have with God because of our own sinfulness and selfishness. And God has solved that by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And if you're a Christian, you know that. You've received it. You've understood it. You've received God's grace. So we are in a very good position uh, to do something about it. Okay, let's look at how we can begin to address the heart issues. That's what we're focusing on today. Uh, the issues that fuel conflict uh, as we unpack this passage today. It's just been read for us. Uh, Paul's writing to the Ephesian Christians about how the church works. In the first three chapters, he's talked about that very thing that I talked about, how the conflict between us and God has been solved. And then he goes on to spell out the implications of it uh, for God's church uh, and for God's world. So two headings today. Uh, the difference Jesus makes, first up, in verses 17 to 24. First of all, Paul talks about the difference that's come into our lives, the lives of Christians... Uh, because of Christ and what he's done. Now when you look at that list there where Paul talks about what uh, people are like without Jesus, what we were like before Jesus changed us, it's not a pretty sight, is it? Mindless futility, deep ignorance, alienated from God's life, callous, sensuous, greedy for more and more impurity. Uh, this is pretty bad, isn't it? Now, it doesn't mean that we were as bad as we possibly could be, but in God's sight, it, it does mean actually that we were like that. Uh, and there was no hope of it getting any better without God's intervention. And that's what he moves on to in verse 20. And he talks to these Ephesian Christians about what happened to them when they heard the good news of Jesus and when they turned to Christ. And he talks about it in terms that they have learned Christ. Interesting expression, isn't it? It's like they're in a school. And it's a very unusual school uh, because the teacher and the curriculum and the context are all the same. It's Jesus. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the curriculum. You're learning Christ. And he's the context of that school. And it's a good description, of, actually, of how we come to know Jesus and how we continue in Jesus. We are continuing to learn him and to learn to be like him. He also is the model uh, when we are learning in this school. Uh, and of course he is, isn't he? He's the one who's rescued us. He's our example. He patiently teaches us, put ups with it, puts up with our failings. Uh, and he continues to work in us and through us. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And Paul talks about it in terms of he's renewed us in the spirit of our minds. 
Uh, He's changed our hard hearts uh, into tender hearts, we find out uh, at the end of the passage. And in verse 24, he, he wants us to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does God want us to do? To put off our old self and put on the new. Words that were used for changing your clothes. A totally new way of life and a new way of thinking and a new way of feeling, actually. So he talks about mind, heart and life. Those three things that are deeply impacted by the difference that Jesus has made. So what does this look like? And we're going to spend most of our time on this. The changes that we need to make in verses 17 to 24. I think the first thing that we think of, well, let me speak for myself. The first thing I think of uh, when a conflict comes up is the other person needs to change. You know, Janet needs to be more relaxed about my driving. Um, (laughs) And I can think of all, all, all sorts of reasons why that should happen. We were talking about this staff meeting this week. Why do we fight so much in the car? I think it's because we can't get away from each other. Um, Maybe catch the bus and sit at opposite ends. But anyway, um, when it it comes to conflict, our natural reaction is the other person needs to change. Uh, But actually, I've been married for 44 years now. The chances of me achieving change in Janet are pretty slim. She's a lovely person. Um, But... (laughs) And, and she has changed a lot, actually, but not because of me. Um, I, the chance of us changing the other person or the other group of people is pretty much zero. And actually, it's not our job. That's why God set it up that way. We do have a chance of changing ourselves. If, if you're a Christian this morning, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to live God's way And God can change us and wants to do it. So let's start with something doable, right? We can work on changing ourselves. That's our God-given job. So what can we do to avoid fueling the flames of conflict or the fire of conflict, which so easily gets out of hand? Paul gives us five things. And it's no surprise that they're to do with our hearts and our attitudes, So in each case, actually, there's a positive thing that he wants us to do. Uh, There's a negative thing he wants us to avoid. And he gives us a reason for doing that. That's pretty good, isn't it? God could easily say, you do this because I say so, like we do as parents sometimes. Um, But he gives a reason. He wants us to understand why he wants us to do this. So first one is to tell the truth, not lies. So there you got it. Do Flick the next slide up. That's the one, yeah. So what you've got to do is speak the truth. Don't practice falsehood. Why? Because we're members of one another. So the verse, uh, if you go to the next slide, says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. There's a saying that the first casualty in a war is the truth. That's true, isn't it? All of a sudden, we're finding out that, you know, there's the Ukrainian truth and there's the Russian truth and there's the Chinese truth. And what is the truth? Uh, Doesn't seem like anyone's really wanting to get at it. Now, let's get down to how this can happen in a conflict. 
Uh, there are several ways, I think, that this can happen. Firstly, uh, we can leave bits of the truth out that don't suit us, can't we? We learn this pretty young, don't we? Uh, you know, if you're a parent, uh, how often does your kid come screaming, he hit me? And, of course, it's probably true. What's been left out is what happened before that, when they ripped a toy out of their hand or they pushed them over or whatever. <laughs> and we, we naturally do it, don't we? We present the bits of the truth uh, that suit us and make us look good and make them look bad. This, this is a natural human tendency, but we have to fight it. And we have to speak the truth to ourselves, first of all. And when I was uh, under a lot of stress in a conflict, Janet said to me, let's think of something good about that person every day. That was so helpful to me. Let's actually get out the whole truth of what's going on here, not just the bits we don't like. And that's so important. It was a great counter to, my, to all the negativity that was flooding into my mind and, and without even thinking about it. I'm going down a, an untruthful path, actually, which was not regarding that person uh, as God made them. So leaving bits of the truth out that don't suit us. Uh, saying absolutes. You always. <laughs> or you never. <laughs> Uh, you can guarantee that saying that is going to fuel the fire. Why? Because it just condemns the other person. It gives them no hope. It's better to say something like, you know, you remember that time in 1998 when you didn't lose your keys? Um, <laughs> you know, how did that happen? <laughs> this is very trivial examples, but it actually condemning people with absolutes is it doesn't help it puts fuel on the fire thirdly there's another one i think which is more commonly practiced by just not raising it at all not speaking the truth pretending that everything's okay uh, devon's going to have more to say about this next week you know we're seething on the inside but we smile on the outside uh, the chinese have a saying for this i'll try and say it uh does anyone understand that? It actually means that you you're, hide your dagger with a smile. You know, you just pretend everything's all right. You're smiling, but inside there's the dagger. When you get a chance, you're going <laughs> to stick it in. Um, that doesn't get us anywhere, and it doesn't help us to grow, does it? Uh, so we need to speak the truth we need to do it sensitively we need to do it at the right time and the right way sometimes actually we're not even aware that we're really annoying somebody else and it's a kindness for them to actually say hey sam every time you say that every time you point at me during a sermon it freaks me out or something whatever it's <laughs> it you know it's a kindness to point it out uh, so that we can grow. Now we have to be careful here. There are some things you can just let go, aren't there? Uh, but if things keep coming up, keep annoying us, one of my triggers is if I, if I wake up in the morning, as you do, as you get older, <laughs> early, and the first thing that comes to my mind is some conflict, 
Uh, to me, that's the Lord saying, Sam, you've got to do something about this. You've got to actually go to that person and sort it out. Um, <clears throat> so that's the way God helps us all to grow together. And that's a great opportunity if we can speak the truth lovingly and sensitively to one another. Now, Paul says Christians can do this for each other because we're all members of one another. Okay, that's the way God's put us in the church. Uh, we've been brought together by the love of Christ and God gives us love for one another. He talks about it earlier in verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. What a wonderful vision of the church. Where all the different bits are working together and we're dealing with things as they come up. And that's the second point. The second thing he says, don't deal with anger. Don't nurse it. Be angry but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So do be angry. Don't sin. Why? Because it gives the devil an opportunity. Now anger, like other emotions, is like the light on your dashboard. It tells you that there's something wrong inside, under the hood of your car. Uh, anger and, and joy does as well. It tells you something about your values and the things that are dear to you. And so does anger when those values and things that are dear to you are transgressed. Um, and it's worth asking us when we get angry, asking ourselves, well, why am I angry about this? What's going on in here? What, what thing that's precious to me has been transgressed by what's just happened? So Paul's saying here that it, your anger might be perfectly legitimate and righteous. You know, somebody's been mistreated, abused or corrupted. God's name's been dragged through the mud. There are lots of things that it's, it's right and proper that we get upset about. Um, maybe it's something that's a bit more self-centred. You know, we haven't got our own way. Whatever the cause, Paul says deal with it uh, and deal with it in quick time, as quickly as you can. Deal with it, he says, without sinning, right? Be angry, but don't sin. Uh, there's a thousand ways that we can deal with this, isn't there? Uh, we can count to ten. That's a good strategy to give yourself time. Sometimes you need to count to about a thousand. Uh, or you can walk away. Or you can say to the person, look, you've raised an issue that, you know, I don't want to respond to right now. I, want, I need time to process it and think about it and pray about it. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about it with you. You can say something like that, that that gives you time to deal with your anger and then talk about it in a, in a real and a sensitive way. So there's lots of non-sinful ways of dealing with anger and we're going to be learning about them over the next eight weeks. And I'm sure you're already sharing that in your life group discussions. Now, friends, don't underestimate how hard uh, these things are because our sinful nature drives us uh, to do the things that inflict pain on the other person if they've inflicted pain on us. Uh, so this is quite a difficult thing to do with your anger and, and to not sin. God clearly says, don't let it fester. Don't nurse it. Don't let the sun go down on it. In other words, keep short accounts. Uh, the reason is that if we don't, we give an opportunity to the devil. He loves to get us angry with each other and fighting one another. Uh, and... And as that happens, we corrupt our own hearts and the hearts of the other person. 
Uh, and we're working against our human nature here. It feels good to hang on to anger, doesn't it? If you think you're in the right and the other person's done the wrong thing, it feels good to hang on to that and say, yeah, they are a real rat bag. And I did the right thing and they did the wrong thing. But the Bible warns us over and over again that that's not a godly way to go. James said, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So Paul says, deal with it. Thirdly, be a giver, not a taker. Uh, give, don't take. And why? So you can be generous to those in need. So Paul here, in this verse, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with those in need. He's talking primarily about theft here. Um, <clears throat> but I think we can apply it more broadly. Because what happens in a conflict is we actually can so easily steal the other person's reputation, can't we? You know what so-and-so did to me? Oh, no. And all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of other people, actually, who don't think well of them. So Paul is here warning against us benefiting out of other people's loss. It's so easy to do in a conflict. And God's people need to work against that. Not just don't steal and work honestly, but actually in a conflict. Do honest work so you can give generously to those in need. And in a conflict, the other person is in need. And the people around are in need as well. They don't want to see this happening either. So that's the, the third one. The fourth one is speak words that build up, not tear down. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as is good for building up. So here we see a bit of a rider on speaking the truth. You know, often when we confront someone, we say, you know, this is true. Now, it being true is not the only reason for bringing it to their attention. There are lots of things we know about each other that are true and it's just not good and helpful to confront the other person with it. It, it, it happens, doesn't it, during conflict. You've done this before. You remember that time back there and back there and back there and back there uh, when we lived in a village and the conflict got going in the village. People are saying, oh, your grandmother has, um, disrespected my grandmother at the well. The 50 years ago, they're both dead. But <laughs> the third generation are bringing it up. It's not resolved. And <clears throat> so just because something is true doesn't mean that you use it in a conflict or in any situation. So what Paul is saying here, it's the truth needs to be told in, in a way that builds the other person up. That's how we tell the truth. Uh, so we need to do it in, in, a, in a way that is helpful to them. Now, sometimes it's hard to get yourself to the point where you're ready to actually focus on the other person. You have to deal with your own hurt first and, and, and deal with that before the Lord. Paul warns us that uh, if we don't work on building the other person up, it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying, look, the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that you're rescued, that your sins are forgiven. And this Holy Spirit's working in you so that you can build other people up by your words. Finally, be kind, not bitter. It's the last one. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, 
along with all malice. There are six things he mentions here uh, that Paul says we need to get rid of. He says, put it off. It's like dirty, filthy, worn-out clothes that you chuck in the wheelie bin. That's the image here. Get rid of these things. And they're all things that fan the flames of conflict. Anger, wrath, or rage, clamour, shouting. <laughs> it happens when conflict really gets going. Ro uh, bitterness, slander, which is blasphemy. It's interesting the word blaspheme is used in that context. Uh, when conflict gets going, it's so easy, isn't it, to say wrong things about somebody who's made in the image of God. So the word blaspheme is used there and malice. Now this toxic cocktail is guaranteed to turn the conflict into a raging inferno in us and between us. Paul says, put it away from you, put it out of your reach. And what do we do instead? Be kind and tender-hearted. Now I'm sure you know how hard this is. Let us not underestimate. We cannot do this on our own. We need God's spirit and God's power to help us. But the reason for doing it uh, and the reason we can do it is the key, isn't it? It's the gospel as God in Christ has forgiven you if you go to the next slide as God in Christ has or forgave you we're going to be talking more about that uh, in a couple of weeks time Sandy will be leading us through that how the gospel impacts resolving conflict well let's wind up this series is called resolving everyday conflict so let's get practical I'm sure lots of situations in your life have come to your mind today uh, and it, as you've been talking about this in your life groups. Here's the question for you and for me. What's the everyday conflict that you're going to start working on as a starter as we go through these next eight weeks? Uh, it doesn't need to be something that you conflict over every day or not the biggest one and the hardest one, uh, but it's something that keeps coming up and you know and you've known for a while uh, that your life and their life would be better off if you dealt with it. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to hear a lot of good stuff from the Bible, but it would be really good if we were thinking about a particular situation that we want to see dealt with. For today, we're thinking about how can we starve this fire of fuel? What can we do on our side with our heart attitudes uh, to stop the flames of conflict from blowing up and making, taking the heat out of the fire? Like I want you to think of the partic your particular conflict and the person or people who are involved in it and begin to think about how you can put this into practice. So first question, how can you think and speak more truthfully about it and them? How can you think and speak more truthfully about the conflict and about them? It may mean for you to take the courage to sensitively raise it with them. They might not even be aware that there's some conflict between you. Um, tell, uh, talk to God about it and ask for his help in being able to speak more accurately about the conflict and the person. You may need to retract some lies that you've told other people, uh, some skewed picture that you've told other people about that person. Um, 
retracting lies or unbalanced truths that you've spread around. That's the first thing. Secondly, how can you, if we can go to the next slide, we can see this. Uh, thanks, yep. How can you deal with your anger about it in godly ways? So a great place to start is to own up to it before God. And tell God that you're struggling with this. Ask for his help. And he said he'll give it. And it's also a good thing to own up to it with somebody, a mentor or somebody who's discipling you or a close Christian friend and ask them to pray for you. Uh, make yourself accountable. Now, thirdly, how can you be a giver rather than a taker in their lives? Uh, maybe you're in conflict with your neighbour. It may be as such a simple thing as bringing in their bins uh, after the, they've been emptied, hopefully, <laughs> and... Uh, or you're taking them a meal or just offering to help them or maybe even just saying hello. I know people who live next door to each other and they have not spoken to each other for nine years. They just avoided each other. I don't know what happened. But if you're in that situation, friends, do something. Just say hello to them. Now, that would be a good start. Um, but think of them and how you can be generous towards them. Uh, fourthly, how can you speak words into the situation that build up rather than tear down? How can I help to build this person up? And finally, how can you be kind and tender-hearted towards them as Christ has been toward you? We're going to talk more about that later, but think about it. When something goes wrong, we all want to be treated kindly, don't we? It's awful when people treat us harshly. And so we need to think, how can we treat them kindly? How can we be kind to one another? Paul gives the example there of uh, forgiving, being ready to forgive. Don't hold out on them. More of that later uh, in the series. Okay, let's take some time to reflect before God. Uh, then I'll lead us in prayer. Maybe you want to cry out to God for help in uh, some situation you're involved in. Uh, then uh, I'll pray for us and then we'll take questions. We thank you so much, Lord, that you are realistic about how each one of us are inside and what's going on in our relationships and in our world. And thank you that in your goodness and mercy you have chosen not to condemn us and say you're always doing that, but you have chosen to step in in the Lord Jesus and rescue us and Lord I pray this morning that each one of us might know the comfort of the gospel and we pray for your help Lord as we seek to work on uh, things that separate us from others maybe that they're not even aware of Lord help us to to handle this well in the power of your spirit help us to uh, speak the truth uh, help us to speak it in a way that builds the other up. Help us to deal with our anger. Help us, Lord, to be a generous giver, uh, not a taker. And Lord, help us to be kind and tender-hearted. And we pray this for the glory of our tender-hearted Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen.